What's up? We are back. UFC 250 is in the books, and right after it concludes, Conor McGregor announces his retirement from fighting again. I'm not surprised, motherfucker. Yeah, neither are we. Um, that with, like, Jorge Masvidal recently in the news, John Jones. I mean, there's so much to discuss in this episode. Um, Henry Cejudo recently retiring. Shit like this. Like, is this the time that you know, enough... You know, draws or notable stars are going to kind of band together in the public and potentially put pressure on the UFC, actually leverage them for once. Uh, I don't think so, but it, it, this is the perfect storm. If there was ever going to be collective bargaining or a union, if they were to actually have these top tier guys lead the way and everyone else kind of jump on board, that's one thing we're going to talk about just slightly in this show. And then obviously the fights, UFC, UFC 250 happens. So we're going to discuss those and the predictions challenge recap, um, as well as uh, if you ever wanted a card to prove or be the, the point the the total example of, of what we're talking about with the ufc not having as much pressure on putting on stack cards for pay-per-view buys i mean granted this isn't a pay-per-view so the argument doesn't quite hold up but we've talked about this if the ufc just has to fulfill 42 i don't know how many cards left but a certain number of uh shows just to get their guaranteed 750 mil which is now 605 mil this year which i'll explain as well you know this is the best next week's card on saturday no offense to jessica i and cynthia calvillo the headliners for that card but um man if you've ever wanted a card to kind of prove the point of that they just need to fill slots fill slots and put on these number of shows to get their money and not what's up aspen not be so concerned about uh maybe you know the star power on the card this is the the card for that so um that's what we're going to talk about this week as i just talked about nate uh, is as always my co-host is here with me how you doing brother i'm doing good man a beautiful day beautiful beautiful day ran into some people that used to go to the gym uh, at the lake, and uh, they want to come back, and uh, it just, you know, just seeing faces, old faces today, and got a beautiful walk in the lake, and getting some exercise. I saw you go on a good walk. Hopefully, yep. everyone else is still trying to get their exercise in. Hopefully, we can open up soon. Yes. And get things moving. Speaking of which, phase three officially, uh, you know, everything is a fluid situation, so don't quote me on this, but it's supposed to begin on uh, this coming Friday, so I don't know, I think that's the 12th. Uh, let me take a look at the calendar just so I know here, but yeah, so the 12th, uh, next Friday is apparently when phase three begins, which includes gyms, guys. So if you haven't already been in touch with MMT Fitness, the Instagram of the same name, make sure to reach out to them, confirm, and or just start showing up as of the first week. Cannot thank you guys enough for all of those dedicated, loyal members who help support us in this time. It was because of you that you have a home to come back to, and we can't thank you enough. It's just one more. Uh, the proof's in the pudding in terms of we, t- we say it's a big one big happy family, and damn, we, we're, I can't believe we get, we're getting through this. A lot of other places didn't, so thank you guys very, very much much um anyways yeah sorry i could not mention that obviously at the top thank you mmt fitness and all the support frankie mercado nate helped me out with the show and everyone that has to do with that whole network that's the reason that uh, i even began this podcast and we're shit we're 34 episodes deep now so thank you guys as listeners for keeping us going and, and let's get into it man so uh what's your reaction to conor mcgregor announcing his retirement again i kind of heard you and ivan talking about it a minute yeah ago. i told ivan there's only so many times you can announce retirement till people stop caring at this point i'm just like uh, uh, you know the best way to say it is i'm not surprised you know i'm i'm not surprised that he's announcing retirement uh could it be for leverage possibly but there's only so many times you know you can use that as leverage being the superstar that you are and right now you know i feel like the the biggest the eyes that the most eyes that are on anyone is is not quite connor right now but is on a uh, uh justin gaethje 
I think, you know, I'm more focused on Gaethje and his performance right now, and, and I could care less about Conor at this point. You know, for a while I was like, oh, Conor McGregor, man, he's coming back. His performance with Cerrone, just finishing it within the first round, within the first 40 seconds with shoulder strikes. Pretty impressive, right? But now he's re- announcing retirement. If, to me, it's, it's I'm not, I just don't care. Like, I, think it, I-, it's, I think it's for leverage, possibly. I think he's trying to get maybe uh, someone else to call him out and get a money fight or whatever he needs. But, I mean, the guy's got enough money, I hope. Um, so, oh, he's got more than enough. You know, Proper 12 is is raking in the money. He's got a huge ownership stake in that. But your, your yeah. point is well taken. I, tr- I try to think of why he's doing it. You know, he's got a lot going on. Um, he came back. He, he won a fight. I, I just feel like, uh, you know... There's so many other fights he could run with him. Um, but right now, obviously, he's got enough power to where he's not under contract. He just comes in when he wants and when he gets paid. So he can he has room to kind of do that right now and play that card. But for me, I, how many times is he going to announce it before? I think people are just, all right, he retired. And then it's going to get less and less relevant every time he retires if he keeps doing this. And then no one's going to call him out. Everyone's going to focus on Gaethje. So I don't know why he's doing it. Uh, so I don't know uh, what's your take. Why? Why do you think he's? Do you think he's for real? What do you think? Um, I don't know. I think Ivan can say it the best in terms of like like I'm kind of downplaying like a lot of other people. It's like not even down. You know what I'm saying? It's like uh, Henry Cejudo. I mean, I understand it's posturing, kind of like GSP did, went away until the time was right to potentially come back. I mean, Aljamain Sterling quote. You know, we're going to talk about him in a minute, but the whole bantamweight division is just stacked at the top. So maybe it's like get out of the way, let the division shape up, and then you know come back for a, a comeback fight, champ first champ i mean even though you're retired yeah. it's it's posturing guys i hate to say it but it's 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 like you said we could see through it now and conor mcgregor being the master marketer as he is making sure he stays relevant a lot of times tweeting right after big fights and stuff like that i mean this is no different he's announced his retirement before um other people i mean mma retirements is a joke just generally i, I mean people it, talk about mma retirements. It, it's a way to get eyes on you yeah, exactly, really right? Is. And and they're under contract, so they aren't allowed the way the current landscape is now to even go fight for another promotion, maybe potentially a grappling tournament, but that's about it. So I don't know. I just, you know, it's not like he gets the... Oh, my God! ...that he got at one point where he, you know, announced his retirement. Everyone's like, oh, my God. But the point is, is he does in terms of clicks, which is really interesting. I mean, just looking at the... I saw it maybe two minutes after he posted it, went away, came back. Within a minute, it's 30,000 shares and all. It's incredible how... And there was other people I followed that are tweeting it's like don't do it just look at something else tweet about something else like don't fall for it again it's it, i hate to downplay it so simply because there is a lot more that goes into it but the, the reason i brought up uh, all the other people that have potentially been very vocal lately about not being happy with their contracts and or be the amount they're being paid and all these other things it's john jones yeah john jones jorge masvidal henry cejudo just partially mentioned that part of his retirement had to do with dana knows my number if he wants to call me all these other things so um there's a lot going on with regards to fighter pay and if you are interested in that look up a lot of luke thomas's videos look you, up you have what hit. was the percentage was it 18 yes. percent of and what they make is what they pay their fighters there's so much to talk about and i don't want to get too like yeah. confusing because a lot of people will lose us on this but yes even jorge masvidal mentioned on twitter that 18 percent. okay so they're technically they 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 had a class action lawsuit that they had to bring out all their financials so it's documented that they pay their fighters roughly 20 percent of their gross revenues and there's all these kind of equations and things that they do you know to show their investors that um, no matter what we're going to continue to be profitable so they have ways of keeping that at 18 to 20 percent regardless like over years and years and years even if they continue 
continue to grow. Obviously, the nominal number, the aggregate number of dollars will continue to grow for the fighters as the, the sport does. But if you look at like another sport like NFL, NBA, things like that, they have up to 50% of the revenue share of the organization. So, again, this is getting into the weeds, so there's a lot about it. But Dana White in the post-fight press conference was asked about Jorge Masvidal mentioning that 18% uh, number. And uh, Dana White, being the master deflector and promoter that he is, just said, oh, yeah, because Jorge Masvidal is a genius at math and he's, in, and he's an economist and all these other things. Uh, but, <laughs> well, in, but in fact, hey. that's the actual number. And yeah. uh, one other thing I'll say about that, because I have to explain this just to kind of give an idea of the UFC's mindset when it comes to their fighters and worrying about them getting theirs with regards to fighting. Uh, I'm sorry, fight purses compared to their bottom line is that technically of that 20 percent, three, you know, two to four percent of it is actually the money that's spent on the USADA program, the drug testing that they had no choice in uh, administrating They're You know, they have to do their reporting of their location at 24 hours a day. They have to if they go anywhere, they have to let them know they get woken up at six in the morning unannounced to do drug tests. All these are the things that are invasive, which I'm not necessarily against if you want a quote unquote clean sport. However, they just had no say in the matter because they have no collective bargaining rights. They have no position being that they're quote unquote um, independent contractors. So all this stuff might have sparked somewhat of an interest to you. So look up. I encourage you. Luke Thomas has a lot of videos on it. He has economists, uh, graduate students. Uh, there's one guy, Eric Kerner, that does multiple different um, ec- economic breakdowns, goes through all the numbers to kind of uh, explain all this stuff because it is quite convoluted. But, <clears throat> but yes, yeah, so the whole point is is that everyone's talked about if the, if the fighters could get together, if they could band together and have enough, um, you know, there's been Operation Spearhead, which is led by Leslie uh, Smith. There's been the Ali Act, which applies to boxing but not MMA, that even people such like Randy Couture is trying to push in Congress. If you know anything about this, you can look into it. So there's a lot of these different small groups that have at one point or another tried to gain enough mass to put enough pressure on the UFC to look at the, the what it's called as the classification of whether or not they're an employee or whether or not they're an independent contract because if they're an employee that comes with a lot of other expenses and rights that the companies have to provide these employees and the UFC has gotten by all these years by not having them classified as employees but when you are told to wear a uniform because you can't wear anything besides Reebok you can't utilize any other sponsorship um, you have to fight who they say or that's it you, have to, you know what I'm saying there's a lot of things which I could get into another episode for another time that really make it seem like they're employees and they have very little rights so if they are employees they have the ability to collectively bargain and um, a lot of this stuff can be explained by other people but with all of the bigger stars right now relative to other times with john these are active people right now john jones uh potentially if unless he retires too but masvidal Henry Souter just retired. Conor McGregor, of all people, putting public pressure on the UFC with regards to um, their unhappiness with potential matchups, contracts, their rights generally. If there's ever going to be a time, this might be it. But one thing I'd like to point out, most people until right now that are advocates for um, collective bargaining rights that are fighters are retired fighters because they don't like if. okay. so if there's very scarce opportunity in a particular environment and someone's like no i'm gonna hold out and die on this hill and and not take this opportunity because i need to you know potentially work for a a bigger picture down the line who else is going to say no to that opportunity most up-and-coming talent that's going to be offered a fight that's trying to get there is going to take the opportunity that the other fighter may try to hold out for in order to maybe put pressure to secure collective bargaining rights so the atmosphere the environment that exists right now it's a very individualized sport it's not a team sport like other sports so um one person's going to try to capitalize on another person's lack of opportunity so it's 
a lot of these things contribute to why there's it's there's a lot of um, hurdles to be overcome in terms of uh, any sort of collective bargaining rights for MMA fighters or and uh, things like that. So, like I said, this goes really deep. I didn't expect to go down this deep of a rabbit hole, but with Conor McGregor retiring, John Jones, Masvidal, all these people all at once right now, UFC has got a lot of uh, explaining to do. And, and, and I talked about over time they've done this where maybe they'll pay the potential uh, squeaky wheel the more money in order to stifle their voice and keep them quiet so that the you know greater uh, roster as a whole doesn't take this as an doesn't opportunity. Doesn't rise up exactly. and, and overthrow the, uh, the system. Yeah, so I don't know. Again, I, I don't know if that kind of t- buttons up that question or that topic, but yeah. um, if you have any questions about that, please do. I'd love to hear you guys' uh, take on stuff like this, fighter pay, these potential retirements, whether it's posturing, if you believe it's true, um, things like that. Reach out to me at Twitter at DLove underscore 84, Instagram at D.Love underscore 84, um, as well as please, our most preferred is when you reach out to us on the Apple and iTunes app, podcast app, in the review section. Hopefully while you're there, you give us a five-star review. So uh, that does that as far as like kind of the um i don't know intro to this show and the topics the current events so why don't we go ahead and just get into this ufc 250 amanda nunez credit to felicia spencer she she stuck it out she got the decision uh she got she survived to a decision but man was it a lopsided one two uh 50 44 is one fifty forty five for amanda nunez it was a clinic all five rounds she didn't look in danger at one point in the, during the fight so she's the goat man why don't you go ahead and Give us a little breakdown of this fight. Yeah, I mean, it went exactly how I expected. Just an absolute outclass. Um, again, with uh, the UFC just throwing the most random opponent. You know, Felicia Spencer was the most deserving in the division at a, with an 8-1 record. And but she's only had, this was her fourth fight in the UFC. So yeah, that, but what does when that it comes say to ex- about the division? When it comes to experience, was she even close to uh, Manny Nunes' level and uh, prior opponents that she's faced? Absolutely not. Um, Felicia Spencer, one thing I can say, honey, is you are tough as nails. She she took some of the hardest shots clean to the face, and she kept pushing. Um, and she didn't go down, man. And she, and, oh, man, it just... Sorry. I, I was impressed, you know, but I'm also impressed by Amanda Nunes' is, is, is heart. And when I mean by heart, not just her, her will to push through a tough fight, but her will to back off on damaging Felicia, I, the way I saw it, oh yeah, I remember is that Felicia she was picking her apart on the feet, like she could have finished her the fifth round. Uh, she almost finished her, I believe, the fourth round or the third round with a rear naked choke, and then the fifth round, um, uh, I mean the fourth round, it, she just started picking her apart with the hands, really hurt. And I thought Herb was going to call it any second, but she just survived. Fourth round, Amanda just started to take her down, ground and pound her. But being a little nice, it was, it was like Amanda knew she had the fight. Amanda knew Felicia was taking a lot of damage. Even Joe Rogan and, and DC were like, when is the the cornerman should, like, you know, this isn't going. It's starting to, to look like another Glover Teixeira situation. Yeah, but. the game plan's not going their way. It wasn't going their way for five rounds. And the coach even said, hey, stick to the game plan. Stick. And then DC made a comment, and I kind of laughed. He's like, you've been you've been trying the game plan for five, four rounds, and it's not working. It's, you yeah. know, it's just one of those moments where you, it's it's tough not only as a, a coach, but as a, a commentator or, or as a spectator to see uh, a young Felicia Spencer take that damage. I mean, she's tough. She didn't drop. We've seen uh, uh, we've seen Holly Holmes get dropped within the first round. She lasted longer than Cyborg did, you know? Cyborg, so, Holly Holmes, uh, Holly Holmes, yeah. Ronda Rousey, she lasted longer than all these women. Yeah, so I'm really impressed with Felicia's toughness, um, her grit. She wanted to keep fighting. 
um, even in the fifth round. And I'm really impressed with Amanda Nunes being able to have respect and heart for Felicia Spencer, knowing that she could have finished her on the feet and said, you know what, this girl's taking a lot of damage. She's got a lot of heart. I'm just going to take her down. I'm going to I'm gonna beat her on the ground and just, and just save her face, pretty much. Save her brain. And it showed the heart of Amanda. And at the end, Amanda even gave her the belt. And Felicia was at first no, which I understand that aspect because it's, it's for I me, w- it's kind of like prideful and you're like, I don't deserve to hold that belt until I actually win it. No, I wondered about that. Like, how is Felicia going to look back on that? Like, is she going to look at that as a joyful moment yeah. or like kind of like a... I'm going to say it was joyful because it, it was the respect of a champion and you hold it first of all. It was just And a then good when she gave it to her, Felicia yeah. almost like cried for like a split second. You yeah. saw the tears in her eyes and it was... it was. But she was that close. I felt was like I was looking at for it, her. I was looking at her that I was like, oh, I was that close and you're going to put it on me like I didn't get it. I thought I could win it. I didn't win I it. Know. I know. I don't know. I mean, she's the only one that's going to know looking back on that. But it was generally a very good show of sportsmanship, yes. Amanda Nunez. I mean, that's what what we like to see, man, in, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Amanda Nunez is an absolute warrior. Who's going to be put up with her uh, next, guys? That's a that's a whole other topic. I think we got to see what the division has in hold. I think Amanda's probably going to be sitting out for a while while the division tries to kind of build its way into getting some new prospects. Yeah, there's only um, three so. fighters that are in the top, like I think seven or eight that yeah. she hasn't competed against. And if you put those up there right now, it's going to even be a, a worse. Uh, yeah. It's going to be even more There are a lot of young, fresh fighters, and it's just, you know, we're seeing a lot of talent come in, uh, but they're still so fresh, and, and, and not, we don't want to say north cut them, guys. You know, that's the new term. Is Yeah. Uh, you can see, you know, Amanda Nunes, I mean, Felicia Spencer with the last opponents looked like she had strong grappling, but when she faced Amanda Nunes, her grappling was amateur compared to Amanda, just the experience. So anyone can have, and I'm not, I mean this in the most polite way, this comes from based on your experience, any grappler or someone who has better grappling than someone um, can out-grapple someone when the person they're fighting is even less experienced. So it, it's like an experienced ladder here we're thinking of. So Felicia Spencer was out grappling these women, but these women's grappling were not up to par with the levels of Amanda Nunes or someone like Shipchenko. Even though they're not known as grapplers, their grappling is so high level because of the amount of competition they face that it's a much higher level than Felicia Spencer. You can dominate someone with res- wrestling when you're facing a less advanced opponent. It's funny. What so, you're doing is you're giving people the actual um, detailed definition of the expression that there's levels to this shit. Yeah. That's what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. And it's just a little more depth. Like, yeah, you yeah. guys just kind of need to think about it. You know, like uh, everyone looks good. You could look like an amazing striker against someone who's been striking for one year. That's why hype and promotion can really, uh, like, Get people, yeah. like myself included sometimes, when they throw you a, a highlight reel of her perf- performances before and talk about, you know, her record and show her training and, and she talks and I, I like her mindset. She's very determined and tough, you know. A lot of people before um, Felicia Spencer was in this fight were just like, who the fuck is that guy? You know what I'm saying? Like, they didn't know who she was, but now after this fight, they're going to know who she is. Tough as nails. Absolutely. And, and she has so much room to grow. Obviously, her striking needs work um, to, to be up to par. The thing I'm seeing with the top women in the division, their striking is phenomenal, first of all. Their, their striking is is dramatic. You're seeing a lot of women, and I mean this in the kindest way, but you're seeing a lot of average, well-rounded women. So basic striking, basic wrestling, and basic uh, jiu-jitsu. Um, but then when you get to the higher, but you see a huge difference when it comes to Amanda Nunes, Holly Holmes, um, Chris Cyborg, uh, Jermaine, um, Dramamine, um, if I Dramamine, Dramamine, <laughs> but she doesn't put you to sleep. That's a, That's a <laughs> you know, that fight Amanda Nunes had to put us to sleep because she had to, cause, uh, Jermaine, Jermaine was a problem on the feet for Amanda. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but my whole point is 
the gap is There's a huge gap, and yeah. I'm noticing in a lot of women's MMA, like if you look at Roxanne Modafari, that girl's striking isn't like amazing. I wouldn't say it's the most technical striking. This is coming from uh, me as a Muay Thai background. Uh, you know, there's a lot of hiccups in her striking and, and running forward, but her grittiness and her, her wrestling and her grappling makes up for it, right? Um, but when it comes to higher levels, when you face someone like a man, it's not only has great striking, but great wrestling. It's just a higher level, you know, and you can look like you have great wrestling. Like Amanda Spencer looked like she had great wrestling um, and she was taking a lot of opponents down. But when you face opponents that are, or women that are still fresh in the division, haven't had a lot of experience, are still learning the grappling and wrestling route. Yeah. And they're that young and fresh. Of course, they're going to look good, especially if you have a year or two on. Great them. example is Chase Hooper because he's got skills. He's, he's got the fresh brain could take those shots. But we'll talk about that fight in a minute. But yeah. like he relied a lot on the that youth, and you can't. You have to, you know, work on those skills and evolve yes. over time. Right, and uh, yeah, there's. We'll get to the mistakes yeah. that I think he made there. Yeah. But I just want you guys to know, it's like this doesn't like um, Felicia Spencer doesn't. Uh, she she's not a horrible fighter. It's just she has so much to learn. She's still young and fresh, um, uh, you know. So, uh, you know, this fight, I'm sure she's going to take in it uh, to notice. Like, I got to work on my striking. I definitely need to work on uh, my wrestling and my grappling defense. And um, so, you know, it just shows you the levels of I experience. I feel like she, she had uh, good enough... Um uh, there's something you got to mention about Amanda Nunes is, you know, the double champ, right? 35 and 45. She came up in... First de- women to defend in both divisions, by which, the way. Which, a little tiny, you know, nerdy tidbit about MMA as well, and they put it out there, but that's the last time you're ever going to see anyone belted with the old-style uh, UFC belt because she was the last champion to, to still... Hold to hold one uh, for the featherweight without having defended it to get it kind of replaced, in a sense. Yeah. So that's the last time you'll ever see one of the old belts uh, ever trotted out there unless someone just does it for nostalgic reasons. But anyways... The reason I bring that up, being both champs, you you know, when she's gone up to 45 in the past, granted it didn't reflect itself in the outcome because she put Cyborg out, but, it, you know, I didn't necessarily see her as the most gigantic 45er because she's able to make uh, 35. But yeah. I think in her times of, like she said, that going back down to uh, 35 to defend against Durandamy was actually a more difficult cut on her than she's normally had. Yeah. And that's because she's started to settle into that 45 weight class and, and put on more muscle to be able to, you know, dominate at 45 yeah. as well. So it made it a little bit more difficult mm-hmm. to get to 35. Point that I'm bringing up is is that Amanda Nunes bodied up Felicia Spencer a few times. Felicia Spencer is a high-level black belt on, on her back. And she's a, she she's was not doing a, just she's a big not, girl. She was doing, yeah, exactly. Throwing her around like a rag doll. <clears throat> and she was tossing her around. And so Felicia Spencer on her back when she was getting taken down was utilizing good yeah. uh, defensive like yeah. grappling to not be finished or to not take too much damage. However, those few ex- exchanges where Amanda Nunes put her on the ground, it was like she was tossing a, th- a little, like her younger sister. There was the, like four or five times for Felicia, her Felicia Spencer's Which leg. I did not expect from that from Felicia no, Spencer. No, Felicia Spencer's legs were racked up. And I noticed that every time she would go to rack a leg, Felicia Spencer would check really high and really unbalanced. And you know what she would do? She'd fake the kick. Felicia Spencer would, would bring her left leg up like she's going to check. And Amanda immediately would grab it and just single legger and turn her to the ground. She did like four or five times yeah. just by, by racking her leg. Um, but I thought I was going to see another Holly yeah. Holmes situation because she was holding that leg out there. One thing I want to point out, and, and this is just my opinion, and I want you guys to hit up Dustin and let him know what you think. This is another topic for another day. But do you guys think, even women answer this, from what I see, I see a few women with great striking and well-rounded technique, and then I'm seeing a, a, a lot of women in, in the MMA industry who feel I feel like they haven't got enough attention from their coaches and their striking. I feel like 
Do you guys feel that women might be overlooked in training or they might not be getting the attention they need? That's a question I have. I've heard this in other gyms. I've heard other women come to our gym saying they left because they wanted to fight, but their co- people didn't, the coaches didn't give them enough attention compared to males. And I'm not trying to start like this, this gender battle here. It's a legitimate here, question. But though. it's a legitimate because I am seeing a pattern where you have these top, some of these top women that are great strikers and have well-rounded MA, and then I'm seeing some women in here with, when the, with certain striking, and, I'm, and as a coach myself, I'm saying... Who let this woman get in the cage with with that striking and that mobility and taking that much damage? I feel like they're not experienced enough. Is or maybe is there just not enough women? Well, it's a combination of you things. Know, let me, let it, me chime in with what I think has something to do with it. But that's a very legitimate question. I want to hear people's uh, opinions. Yeah, for sure. Know, especially for sure. people who have been in those environments and have experienced these things firsthand. And and in, in general, what do you guys think? I think that that potentially definitely plays a role which i never really thought about but over time you'd have to look at like a 10-year period and then see the pace at which women which women's mma progressed and how the divisions filled out and how fast they got better in comparison to the men over a course of like five years and see because i think that's part of what we're seeing here is that just the women's divisions and the women's mma sport generally isn't as far along because it hasn't existed for as long and so it takes time for Uh, these skills to develop and these divisions to develop and there's something to be said about the fact that um, it's, you know, psychologically, there's been many, many studies about this, that women don't necessarily go towards as many high-risk jobs percentage-wise as men. So it takes a certain kind of woman to even go to potentially to want fight to in fight cage. in the first place. Absolutely. And, um, Which is that's awesome. A, yeah, it's, a great, it's an awesome characteristic from my standpoint. Yeah, I mean, my wife. So yeah. That's how I met her. So when I look at fighting, like I've said in the past, I look at it, I try to look at it um, gender free or gender neutral because um, I'm looking at the fact that sometimes what you're pointing out is there's a larger group of like middle of the road fighters like the 10 to 15 uh, level skill wise and then there's these you know very very large gaps between them and the women who are dominating their divisions Yes, and um, so the people that have that are the outliers um, now at one point the outlier was Ronda Rousey and mm-hmm. she was that far above everybody. Then yeah. we saw what Amanda did to her. And now there's... And Holly Holmes. Yes. You know? And so now there's like maybe a half dozen here at the top that mm-hmm. are like really skilled and there's a big gap. <clears throat> and I think over time that will grow and the divisions will fill out. But the women's featherweight in terms of the UFC has very little... Um, not a lot of experience in it, and I'm not trying to insult these women, but they need time just like anybody else. Absolutely. Years to get better and experience to, to fight and ring time and all these other things. So I think it's a consequence of just like not being far as far along on the vine as as, as like as far as women's uh, MMA versus men's MMA. However, I think that I didn't think about this till you brought it up that that's a very legitimate question, and I wonder how much that stifles the potential evolution of women's MMA and if it's going to slow it in comparison to how fast men's MMA has evolved in terms of a technical standpoint. Because if they're not getting as much attention, they're already there in lesser numbers. Um, But, you know, so there's interesting arguments on both sides because then that means more than likely the women that are there are going to have to train with men instead of other women. And is that good or bad for them too? So I don't know. Yeah, it's a good topic. So, but but overall, we're seeing some savage women. There's a lot of upcoming women coming, in, and it's only going to get better. Like in the last ten years, uh, the, the 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 talent in the women's pool has gone extremely better. Like we, if you just look at the top five, top ten women fighters, you know Amanda Nunes, uh, you know Shipchenko, uh, Joanna, like the striking and the and the well balanced that they are, the technique that they have, the tightness you know, you, from a coach perspective. You're right though that the numbers say, for instance, just to throw a number 
out there. The number 12 ranked women's featherweight fighter would in no way, shape, or form be even close yeah. to the skill level in terms of technique and abilities, uh, you know, in terms of martial arts technique, mm-hmm. whether it's grappling or striking or whatever, as of t- level 12 featherweight men because there's mm-hmm. so many more men in that pool. Yeah. It's more of a shark tank, so the higher ones are going to have to get, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's unfortunate because, like you said, there's so there's a larger group of kind of middle-level women's skills, and you sometimes will see someone in the octagon in the UFC, the largest promotion in the land, where you, as a striking coach, uh, MMA, you know, a talented fighter, will look at them and say, "How did you even get in at this level on the cage, and, given your skills?" And you know, what, the thing and is, that's I, I'm not, and, and I'm not even, I'm not even upset with the fighter. From a coach standpoint, I'm just like, I've seen like certain women come back and fight again, and I haven't seen much change, like. They're still punching with. They're still jabbing, and when they throw a hard jab, their right hand's completely down. Or when they cross, they throw their cross. Their left hand's completely at their waist. Or they're running forward, crossing their legs. And so you're it, like, where's the coaching? So, so yeah. At my point, I'm just like, after I, if I saw my fighter do that in their first fight in the UFC, the only thing I would have done is taken them back and technically made those fixes because it's leaving them exposed and it's putting them in dangerous positions. And I do that with male fighters too. Yeah, of course. So my whole point is, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm saying, where's the coaching? Either yeah. that or it's, or, or maybe it's also could be individual because I know some guys and I know girls that you could tell them to fix these things and work on it with them, and when they fight, it goes out the window. That makes so sense. So it could be on the individual as well. So I don't want to, I don't want to like label it as a, sure. a female issue because I don't think it's this is an individual issue male and female but the thing is these women are smart right these women are professional athletes they know what they're doing they're gritty they're just as tough as men I've met women that put hands on men <laughs> like Rose is a, is a savage right and all these women are savages for stepping in the cage but there's a point where I see like okay like she's still doing these things that are dangerous and it, it's just limiting her potential um, why hasn't these things been fixed or like she's still fighting the same way and that's why she's losing these adjustments are easily fixed on the bag or or in drilling and and so part of me so wonders if they're getting they not, that attention yeah. and are they are the coaches doing these things or practicing with them and those are questions I want you to answer especially if you're a woman listening and you train do you feel like you get enough attention do you think that's an issue um, and because um, I would love to give everyone equal attention I love working with women fighters especially I love working with Natalie from the gym um, just because, um, you know, she's the only one I've worked with a lot of women at the gym and helped a lot, but, um, I would, but I would say that it's, you know, obviously there's not a lot of women that want to compete in the gym. Our gym actually has a lot now. There's like three or four that love to compete, Rachel. And, um, I love correcting them because I think it's so cool when I see a woman want to compete and, and it's even more gratifying for me as a coach to make a woman better than a man. I love because I know women are capable and, and equal enough to just destroy it i've seen women like saida is a great example i've seen her destroy men destroy grown men pkb champ you know so what i'm saying is um and and we give we i i I as a coach like to give women a lot of attention because they deserve it they're there to work um and they're already taking a huge risk as a woman you know they're stepping out of their comfort zone what society expects them to do in most of the time which i think is super awesome and I, i it's super gratifying to see that so my whole point is before yeah. I go on my rant is, uh, do you guys? Yeah, do you guys think uh, when we get enough attention, or what do you think is the reason why there's such a giant gap in the pool? Do you agree with Dustin? Uh, I have a, that's a, I, I think, think that's both. I, think I think it's, it's both. Absolutely. Yeah. So guys, if if that's a topic for another time, even though we kind of just covered it, yeah. But uh, let us know your thoughts. But let's move on to the card. I know we got we've been racking up your time, but you know there's so many good topics to talk about. Absolutely. But let, let's go to the the co-main event. Well, where, I think it's absolutely relevant though because of what I mentioned in the intro about next week. I'll, 
of course, if I make a joke or downplay someone's skills, I've always said this, I'm armchair quarterbacking it. Like, I'm not in the fucking UFC making money fighting. So if I ever kind of make a sarcastic joke about not being the most stacked card or something like that, you should know by now that that's just, you know, me putting it in context with other exciting cards that I've seen. Yeah. So my point, I think it's very relevant, though, because the joke I made earlier about next week card, next week's card, UFC Fight Night Saskatoon, you know, is headlined by Jessica I versus Cynthia Calvillo. And not that there's anything wrong with that as a fight generally I think it's a good matchup I think it's evenly matched but Cynthia Calvillo has only had a few fights in the UFC and uh, I think she's coming off a draw and Jessica I has had an up and down career um, not to say that you know these women couldn't potentially see success one day down the line but it's just we talked about the depth of these divisions so to have them be a headliner is just rare and interesting so I'm not the only one that has the opinion of thinking it's not the most stacked card and an interesting headliner choice. So to have that discussion during this episode, I feel like, you know, is relevant. So yeah. that, that's but cool. That's good. It, it, you know, to see a flyweight women's fight being a main event. So maybe they're trying to push that. This is a good time for them to push these things, especially with COVID and being yeah. able to fill fights. And if you guys, they, they yeah. can't really make as much money as they want because they can't sell tickets. So the only way they can sell it is by views and pay-per-view buys. Um, so this is a good time to not worry about money right now and, and kind of let some light shine on the fighters. So sure. If that's what the UFC is doing, that's excellent. Um, yeah, and they just yeah. have to fill cards, so it works out both ways. Um, congratulations to the women's goat again. Besides DC and uh, Henry Cejudo, the only person to ever defend. Um, First of all, be champ, champ in the first place, but then defend both belts actively. So congratulations well, to her. Well, he. Was sh- uh, but uh, McGregor was the first double champ. Never defended, I mean. But he never defended. Yeah, this yeah. Is, yeah it's defending. So, yeah, so yeah. congratulations. The to first her. unified. Yes. First unified champ champ would be. And Henry Felicia Shida. Stock, it goes up. Yeah. We're going to see and her. And she's again. only going to get better. Absolutely. So. Oh, she got room for so much improvement, and she's tough. Okay, we've been, like Nate said, spending 33 minutes on a couple good topics, but we've only got through one fight, and this next fight only got through a round, uh, you know, almost two rounds by <sighs> one second. It did, oh, my God. Oh, my God. There we go. Can, so, we, can we talk about that knockout, man? Oh, Cody Garbrandt, we talked about this before in last episode, had all the skills, had all the abilities physically, but has shown over time to, that his his mental state and his, his decision-making skills in high-pressure situations, in big fights, haven't always been the best. So we were definitely, there was a lot of X factors around. Did the move to New Jersey and Mark Henry's camp, you know, he's still affiliated with Alpha Male, but his change in camp, his, all these other X factors, his time off, he has not won a fight since December of 2016 so remember that so there's a lot of things going into this and him being kind of an you know can't trust him in terms of the betting or in terms of a pick in the last few fights uh, you know it got to us and we didn't know what to expect until we saw it so we both went yeah. with the veteran the one that's been around the one that's you know only been knocked out one other time I believe ever in his career and the one who we thought could hold his composure and his high level enough to give Cody Garbrandt problems yeah so let's talk about the fight. It was relatively even. There was uh, Cody was definitely the way faster fighter. Yeah, a uh, few flurries and exchanges, you know, in the pocket, in and out. They both kind of came in, threw some strikes, got out. Um, Cody was uh, racking up Hafiel's front left leg, which yep. was definitely a kind of a, a new wrinkle to his game. That low calf kick. I mean, shout out to Mark Henry out there, um, Marlon Marais. All their fighters do that. So Barboza. So, but yeah adding some wrinkles, adding some little things into his game. 
And when we saw him, we were watching him. And as the first, you know, half of the first round kind of happened, and you could see Cody was staying calm, eyes were open, yeah. utilizing outside movement, wasn't necessarily trying to get into a brawl, knew he, was, he had the speed advantage. Like, we were like, okay, well, he can definitely win a decision this way. Let's see how he reacts if, if uh, Sunset cracks him, right? Um, and at one point, he took a pretty hard right yeah, hand. Yeah, off and, of a right kick. Yeah, and he then kicked him with the right leg, and Sunset countered with a, like a left hook, which missed, and then a right hand. Keep going. But, um, yeah, it was uh, super, super, super uh, fun to watch Cody stay calm um, and, and and do everything we thought that he might not be able to do. So he, knew he was capable <laughs> of doing, which is funny. And that's when I saw him doing And I also noticed that Cody was much bigger. I didn't expect him to look True. that much bigger. He does look bigger. He looked big. Uh, not as lean and shredded as usual, but mm-hmm. more, more mass mm-hmm. to him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he looked more healthier, not as drained. Um, Agreed. But, man, last... Like 10 seconds. Like, he literally knocked him out, and as soon as a sunset hit the ground, the buzzer went off. Yeah, one second left. 4.59 at so, the second round. you know, round. and this was all off of hesitation. So, if you guys go uh, watch. Oh, yeah, You yeah. guys go back and watch the replay. Cody wasn't in the safest position, but Cody had it. Cody's range was on point. He had his range. Uh, a sunset had his uh, Cody against the cage, right? A sunset was probably a good three feet away because he's hesitant, right? He, he knows Cody's power and speed. And and he stopped for Cody faints off the cage stops uh, and suns out kind of both kind of stop for a second and then just that off time and right hook from Cody Cody literally squats both hands at his waist a sunsau hesitates off that squat thing goes to throw a left hook way out of range skins Garbrandt's chest but as he's throwing the left hook Garbrandt just slightly timed it a little better. And was able to clip him with the hardest, I mean the hardest right hook. All hips, all power. You guys got to watch the replay. When he hit him, it was... Oh my God! Absolutely. Oh, it, it was... It everyone. Was, everyone it, was screaming. Uh, it was crazy. It was crazy. I, I <laughs> encourage you guys to go watch that. My money from now on if is always going to be on Cody Garbrandt. I promise you. He, I, I, I think he's going to come back and win that championship. If he keeps fighting the way he did, uh, he's unstoppable. Man, was he patient. He didn't fight with anger. He was calm. He looked calm. He looked different. His mindset looked good. You know, he's all about supporting his family now. I think his headspace is in the right space. Super impressed. Congratulations, Cody Garbrandt. I'm sorry I yeah. bet it against you. Obviously, me and me and Dustin knew you had it in you, but we slightly didn't know if you're going to make those adjustments, and you sure did. Proud of you, man. Yeah. My money's on you next time. Mental adjustments. Tyron Woodley has the physical abilities. He's 38 years old and, and just couldn't, you know, summon his uh, mind to do what his body's capable of. Yeah. And same with Cody. Like, at, at a couple months. I mean, even those fights that he got knocked out with TJ and, and other... I mean, he knocked TJ down in both those fights and he was doing good against... Uh, he just Pedro got weathered into a brawl. Exactly. And, so. he, and he got overzealous. And um, I don't know. There's so much that could be said about this, but just to touch on it a little bit myself, um, when Cody was up against the fence, he had his right hand kind of like, you know, interlaced with the chain link of the fence and he was just kind of waiting to see at that point after after they got there. He's baiting him. Yeah, He's baiting him exactly. to do exactly what he did. It, uh, man, there's so many things I thought of that I don't want uh, I've already forgotten, but Cody said uh, to the point where he um, Sun Tao is really good defensively and it's hard yeah. to kind of fake him into doing something when I'm going, going forward to open him up for a good shot. So at the second part of the second round and, and potentially in, into the third, they had decided to somewhat make an adjustment to kind of back up and bring uh, Sun Tzu to him. Yeah, to make him look more open and vulnerable, exactly. to make a Sun Tzu potentially go for something, go forward. which and, is what happened. And then what happens was he went forward, but as he tried to go forward and, and commit, Cody Garbrandt had a nice little feint, got him to hesitate just a split second, and Cody Garbrandt was able to slip, boom. Yes, so just, the slip. Just a good, good feint. 
the slip is important because after they kind of got into that uh, frozen moment for a second and he had his hand on the fence, they're looking at each other. A sunset hesitated, as you were talking about, to throw um, a, a, a cross. And that's what Cody was potentially slipping. Cody saw that shoulder move and saw a sensei go potentially go for that cross, which is why he dipped so far to slip that cross and then come back with his own crazy right hook, which is what ended up landing. But a sunset hesitated. It, I don't know if he pulled it or if he ended up kind of making it a feint. It, so was, to speak. it, was, a, it was a hesitation. And then so then when he hesitation. throws the right hook, um, Cody was already up higher than where he was aiming because yes. he was aiming down to where Cody dipped. Yes. So, so now the left Cody hook was just at his chest, at his chest. Of his head level. And now Cody's head is now up above where that left hook or that right hook was coming from with his own right hook over top of it. In fact, if you watch, the Sun Sal's hook would, uh, touched his chest before Cody's yeah. touched his chin. But So technically, he beat him to the punch, but Cody... His reflexes and his yes. speed, and if you watch the replay, his vision—he didn't yes. take his eyes off no. him the entire time. Shark was was it was very very sharp. It was like a yeah. surgeon. So it was yeah. cool, good to see Cody Garbrandt, um, you know, rise to the occasion and do what we know he's capable of yeah. and have success again, get back on the yeah. winning track. One thing I want to mention too is, listen, if you go watch it, you're going to see that Cody Garbrandt's hands were down, and usually that's a very dangerous spot to be in against a cage, hands down. First of all, Cody's Garbrandt, Cody Garbrandt's faint is definitely what. It sold that right hook, right, um, and got uh, a sense out to bite, and potentially bite down. throw, but then realize shit, it's not right. But his feints were so good and his speed was so good the entire fight. You also have to understand that Cody Garbrandt's distance was was great. So he, mm-hmm. Cody Garbrandt was in a position, even though his hands were down, he was yes. slightly out of range. And when you have a fighter worried about your speed, your power, and your distance, and he's biting on feints. A sunset, you could tell, was slightly out of range You're in behind. a lot of his exchanges and slightly behind. Yeah. So, not only did the feint set Raphael, usually, sorry, let me, I'm trying to put it in a very technical term. So, when you, as a fighter, have a fighter across from you and they're biting on your feints and they're hesitant, and they're not in range. And usually you have speed you're advantage. yeah. Usually you're in range. If you watch the fight, Cody Garbrandt had his range, but Raphael was not at the. Cody Garbrandt had was at range to be able to hit Raphael. But Raphael was not at range to hit Cody Garbrandt. That's great about knowing your range, your timing, and your speed and your power. So you can see that even though Cody's Garbrandt, Cody Garbrandt's back was against the cage, that even when his hands were down and he was able to faint and bite, and he was in a risky situation with both hands down, Raphael was still hesitant, and he had and Cody had Raphael in a position the whole fight to be slightly out of range. So that and and to be at Cody's range. So, so not, he knew he had so enough he time. So he knew he had enough time, enough space and enough distance to reach that right hand. And, uh, yeah, so just feints and bites alone and just being able to keep your, your opponent on their feet and keep them unsure, it's it was in Cody's favor, and he did a great job in using that distance and yeah. using that. So, I mean, it can get, I can get so more in-depth into it and go by, like, footwork and distance. That's what I was going to say. But... Last thing I'll say about it is that if you have those those ingredients, a speed advantage, and your proper footwork, and because you're good, uh, you're utilizing your distance control. Uh, most times, when we're talking about that, because we talk about that in scenarios in terms of matchups where someone has to stay on the outside, use their footwork and speed, stick and move, touch them and move, and do all these other things. Most times in that equation, they don't have knockout power, yeah. and they're fighting that way because they don't have knockout yeah. power. But when you do have power, it's yes. a whole other story. Now it's even you're even. 
be even more of a threat. And we see that with so Cody Garbrandt. Cody knew he had the speed and, and range because his footwork and his speed was to get him in and out. He was staying safe. He was doing more of a kick-heavy attack than I've ever seen him before. But low calf kick and little wrinkles, like I said, Mark Henry, Camp, and company. Uh, he had the the ingredients to have Rafael Sunsau behind at all points. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think he knew that, that the round was about to be over and he knew what was going on. So he was like, okay, let's we're, okay. I'll get one more off. Boom, boom. And it just was beautiful. It was just yeah, perfect. Right at the bell. So. Awesome. Well, congrats, Cody Garbrandt. That takes us to the next fight. Which the next one we were also wrong Bantam about. Bantam White. <laughs> Bantam White. Uh, Aljamain Sterling versus Cody Sanhagen. Me and Dustin both thought Cody Sanhagen. Corey. Corey Sanhagen, sorry, was going to be the better fighter that night uh, yesterday. And it just wasn't the case. And, man, did uh, Aljamain Sterling prove a point. Aljamain Sterling pretty much wrapped Corey Sanhagen up from the bat against the cage, got into a standing rear naked, uh, and uh, pretty much took took his back, got him to the ground. As soon as he got Corey Sanhagen to the ground, already interlocked. Well, they're both dry, which is a huge point when you're wet. It's it's harder and it's harder for uh, you to lock the body triangle, but it's even e- but it's easier for someone like Corey in that position to be able to manipulate a little bit because he can kind of turn and twist. But early in the round, Aljermaine Sterling took his back while standing, took him to the ground, got that body triangle immediately, and was able to rear naked choke Corey Sandhagen yeah. within the first minute and 28 seconds I've seen of Aljermaine, the very first round. Yes, I've seen Aljo do this in other fights um, successfully, where if he gets a hold of you early, um, game plan or not, I'm not sure. Obviously, we're not in, in their corners. Um, but there's been fights where he's like, okay, I need to just get a hold of him early. Uh, wrestle him down to the ground, try to choke him out. I know that sounds really simple, but um, this... But he, it works. It, he utilized his size and strength advantage, and he's a Sarah BJJ black belt, which is affiliated with Henzo Gracie's in New York. Absolutely top, top level. Danaher Death Squad's affiliated with them, too. So, he's a very, very top level black belt. He's funky, like we've talked about. He's very, very strong for the division. Um, but, you know... I thought Corey Sanhagen being a larger framed guy, the the visuals that we've seen in terms of his, you know, he's fought John Lineker with success. He never gives up. He's, he's been in deep, deep uh, bad situations and jujitsu-wise and been able to gut it out and get through it. Um, so I kind of expected that there was potential for this to happen earlier on in the fight, but I thought Corey was going to be able to gut it out and get through it. And then yeah. over time, then the fight kind of evolves. But no, man, Aljo did not let that happen. Um, he got a hold of him, and that was all she wrote. He put it on yep. once that was more of like a chin and jaw crank. Didn't quite finish the job, but then Corey went to uh, his base, kind of turned his back to this guy to try to get onto his base, which then puts both of his arms down. And then Aljo resunk in the choking arm, sat back to his back, and that was. And once he had it yep, under the put neck, him, put him out cold. That was all she wrote. All right, yeah, not much more to say. Congrats. I wanted to ask since we're talking about this, and also you remember the fight um, down lower, which we may not touch on uh, in detail, but we'll maybe go over the um, the outcome. Well, we can touch on it real quick. No, but the uh, the Cody Stamen Brian Kelleher fight. I thought this was where Brian Kelleher was going up to featherweight because of the COVID that he you know situation where he's not cutting weight. A lot of fighters were seeing do that um, as of late, and that Cody Stamen blessed his heart. His brother died a week before this and comes out with a victory. Good on him. But again, again, I thought he was a natural. I thought he was already at featherweight. So the only reason I'm bringing this up is because this is another bantamweight fight on the card. And then we had um, obviously with the co-main event, Rafael and Cody, uh, Aljo and Corey Sanhagen, and then Eddie Wineland and Sean O'Malley. This was pretty much like a bantamweight showcase. Yeah. So this card was really deep in terms of the bantamweight. Fun, fun fight. A lot of really implications fun. in terms of the top and who's going to potentially fight. Um, you know, obviously. 
we're going to get uh, Aljo. I, my, I, my assumption is he's going to fight the winner of Petrion and, and Jose Aldo for the belt. But there was a lot of movement in the division is my whole point. And there's a lot of potential stars coming up, for instance, like Sean O'Malley, which we'll talk about in a second. But I wanted to ask you, who do you think stock went up the most? And who do you think got the quote-unquote best highlight reel finish, whether it was Aljo in the first round real quick, Sean O'Malley with a first-round KO, or, you know, freaking that amazing knockout by Cody Nolev? Like, who do you think got the best... Um, Highlight real finish for the uh, band, you know, to kind of stick yeah. their place in the bantamweight division. They're they're all amazing. They're all amazing because other than Sean O'Malley, let me point out the the two that I think are, are obviously Sean O'Malley is one of my favorite fighters. Okay, I think he's well ahead of the game for for how young he is. Okay, but when it comes to storyline and, and expectations of who is going to win and who is not going to win. Uh, one impressive one is obviously Aljamain Sterling. Okay, yeah. why? Because I was expecting, and a lot of people were expecting Corey Sandhagen to just put a put on a great performance. His, his striking's phenomenal. He's very well rounded, and he's been a dominant force in the in the UFC. And Aljamain Sterling, as uh, you know, he's hasn't done well. Been, as he's of done late. well. He hasn't gotten the notice he he ha- should have been getting yeah. in the attention. That's for sure. But um but now we see his true colors. So when it comes to who you expected to win and how great of a fashion he won it in, Aljamain yeah. Sterling really made Corey Sandhagen look like he wasn't even up to par. So it, that was a very impressive victory there. Um but it's a very good point. Most people even if they thought Aljo was gonna win, they thought it was gonna be a much more tougher of a fight. fight. Yeah. And and that just it shows you the intelligence, the game plan and the and how how, how resilient yeah. Aljamain Sterling is. But Sean O'Malley, <coughs> excuse me, faced a, a veteran like Eddie Wyland, right? But Sean O'Malley's been knocking people out left and right. What impressed me with the fight with Sean O'Malley and Eddie Wyland was the fact that Sean O'Malley stepped up and finally faced a veteran, and we still saw the vintage Sean O'Malley, right? Eddie Wyland put on a good performance. It was pretty, like, tit for tat. But the thing that shocked me most is Sean O'Malley's ability to end the fight like that. So it shows you that Sean O'Malley's got knockout power. So at first you thought, I'd watch the fight, and I'm like, oh, this going to be even. This might go a few rounds because uh, Eddie Wilde is a tough opponent. But out of nowhere, you see the, the IQ of O'Malley just being able to bait with a fake uppercut right hand. And to be able to see the little mistakes that Eddie would ma- was making and capitalize on them and that quick uh, uh, rear hand knockout, Man, that was impressive. To me, it was very impressive. So, but at the same time, I expected that from Sean O'Malley. Um, uh, I expected it to go a little longer, right? Sure. But that was also very impressive. I think when it comes to Sean O'Malley's social media presence, that he's going to get a lot of eyes on him, right? O'Malley! But O'Malley! I'm going to say the most impressive one and the most shocking one is Cody Garbrandt. The reason why is because of his last three losses— uh, expectations on Cody, even when it came to me and you, and seeing the changes he could make, uh, hearing his story and the fashion that he did it in, and just the overall change to me that Cody made, the changes that Cody made, mm-hmm. the comeback that he made, that goes into it, and too. how impressive the knockout was. Sure. I think that was the most gratifying and and the storyline sure. for the UFC to see Cody Garbrandt like that, especially being the superstar that he was. Sure. Um, yeah. I think social media wise. I think the two that are going to get the most attention are going to be Cody Garbrandt and Sean O'Malley. Sure. Um, uh, why? Just because I think of Sean O'Malley's social media presence and Cody Garbrandt's storyline. But to me, the most um, uplifting one for me, the one that I didn't expect, mm-hmm. um, was going to be Cody Garbrandt. Uh, he really made some changes. And, yeah. and that's what impressed me. So when it comes to me looking at um, 
the best band and weight performance of the night. Sure. The person who made the most changes, mm-hmm. the person I didn't expect to be able to say compose yeah. is Cody Garbrandt and he shined and he showed me his capabilities. I would say Sean O'Malley, uh, but at the same time, Sean O'Malley is still facing either very old veterans or guys that are brand new. So like he is when it comes to the level of talent that Cody Garbrandt had to face and come back against, uh-huh. that was big. Absolutely. And so was Aljamain Sterling. So if I had to pick two that were very impressive, it would be Cody Garbrandt and Aljamain Sterling. I expected Sean O'Malley to perform that way. The ones I didn't expect to go in the fashions that they did. Sure. Uh, I guess you could say the most shocking though is Aljamain Sterling. Just because um, of how fast it was. How fast it was, but yeah. when it comes to storyline um, and and who Cardi, who Cody Garbrandt was, what he accomplished, and what he had to overcome. Yeah, coming back to that high I, level. I think been, yeah. the best the best bantamweight showcase and all eyes should be on Cody Garbrandt sure. right now. I think he's going to get the most attention. And I mean, in terms of the rankings, he's it's not like he's going to be getting a title shot off, off off of that win. So that question is kind of like um like a trick question almost. It's like not answerable, right? Because they all have their They're strong merits in different ways, right? And to your point, Sean O'Malley, uh, you know, he's being correctly match made given his experience level yes. in the UFC, and it, he's just blowing him out of the water. So uh, me and you kind of uh, talked right before the fight, and I said if Sean O'Malley and you 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 and I were saying this before, but if Sean O'Malley looks like he's been looking against all these other opponents yes. and does that against a veteran like Eddie yeah. Wyland, then, I mean, it's just one more testament yeah. to the Sugar Show is real. Yeah, if I were to say, like, this is a good way to put it. If I, honestly... Because we both expect it to be like a yeah. full three-round fight, potentially decision. Out of all three fighters that we just discussed, Sterling, Cobrant, uh, Garbrandt, and uh, O'Malley, the one I'm most excited to see fight again is Sean O'Malley. Sure. That's the truth. Uh, but the one I think who 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 had the most impressive performance and, and made the biggest adjustments uh, is Cody Garbrandt. That's a good point because what goes into our you know equation for excitement, is it always title implications? Yes. No, like not necessarily because you and I are looking at a newer guy to the UFC and we are very excited to see him go up through the ranks and test his skills at the correct different levels over yeah. time and if he continues to do it in the way that he's doing it man that's going to yeah. be exciting to, yeah. to see and especially when he eventually gets up there you know I mean it's a very good point Javier Sunsau is a much formidable opponent than Eddie Wyland was even given this matchup right so yeah. um, it was almost a trick question because yeah, same thing with Sterling and, and, and Sanhagen exactly. I mean I can't I can't even really it's hard to pick and so since Aljo's already right there in terms of the title picture his performance is going to do enough I, in my opinion to secure himself the winner of Peter and Jose for Absolutely. the vacant belt. And then um, Garbrandt did everything he needed to do to get himself to make back a statement. up. Big to statement. Make a statement to get himself back up to that top five. And Sean O'Malley just made himself even a bigger uh, yeah. prospect. And he's working his way up as yeah. he should be. And the he sugar just got Sean O'Malley out of all of them has a huge aura around him. Absolutely. He's, he, you know, he's, he's like the post Malone yeah, at the man. UFC. You the know? Sugar Show moves on. I was calling him uh, Takashi O'Malley coming yeah. into this fight. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. But you you guys, at least the highlights uh, for those three fights that we just mentioned, I'd highly recommend checking them out. Uh, Neil Magny ends up gutting out a, a decision over Anthony Rocco Martin, which we both thought he did, was going to. So, actually, you thought he was going to finish him. We both thought he was going to finish him. I can't believe we gave him that much credit, given, uh, you know, his layoff. Yeah. But I guess he did look good. Really good against the Leeds last time. Martin out, put so. up a huge fight. It was super close. <laughs> it's super, super, super close. He, and Neil Magny said he wasn't professor, uh, impressed with his performance. Let me slow down my, my brain here. Um, like I said, I thought it could have gone split decision, Neil Magny, because, uh, you know, in the first round or so, 
uh, I can't remember for a second, but uh, yeah, Rocco Martin round. had a takedown and a couple, and it was able to just you know keep pressure and keep Neil against the cage and land just as much strikes. But Neil Magny had a little more, a couple, a, a couple more kicks, and it was a little more active in the striking. But the thing that down I, the stretch. But the thing is, I I can tell you in the third round, it was it was completely one sided, and I think that's what really gave it to Neil Magny because the third round was an absolute pick apart. Neil mm-hmm. Magny just ran him over in that round. Um, so if Neil Magny fought that way, because Neil Magny's got a great gas tank, if he fought that way for three rounds, oh man, Neil would be a force to be reckoned with. So I think Neil just took a little bit to warm up because of the layoff, but overall, sure. Neil Magny, good win, man. Congrats. Yeah, and I don't know how much of, because uh, they know he has a good gas tank. He knows that, you could tell in that fight game plan wise, uh, putting pressure, continue, not giving him a space, getting to that point where Anthony is now exhausted and you're still you know, relatively fine and fresh. You could tell that that... It, whether it was from the beginning or after the fight was playing out, that was definitely part of the game plan because the first round, all the grappling wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, I was expecting Neil to have more strength in those exchanges and to be able to, to you know, turn his back against the cage and do other things more easily. But no, Rocco Martin is a black belt. He's a he's physical force as well. So you know, it ended up being very very competitive and kind of like that Greco-Roman like upper body um, grappling exchanges. Really one of those fights that ends up you know they have to kind of dig deep because they're getting exhausted from all those exchanges and then over time Neil Magny ended up being just a little bit fresher of the fighter and then the second half the second round as well as the whole third round like you said he was just pushing forward and it it seemed like he was even trying to get the finish you know being unsure of of where the judges stood but yeah like Neil Magny when it first started I was like well I'm not very confident with my pick here and then over time it kind of was like kind of showed tried and true like nothing too flashy just kind of stuck to the game plan like Felicia Spencer just kidding and then ended up working out for him so congrats to congratulations to Neil and Magny, and as we alluded to after or earlier, my bad, Sean O'Malley, first round knockout, one minute, 54 seconds of uh, the first round against Starched Eddie Wyland. Eddie Wyland even tweeted or put on his Instagram afterwards, he's just like, I got my formal introduction to the Sugar Show. Mm-hmm. Like, he was fine enough to take the loss, and good on him, man, he's a veteran of the game. Um, you know, good for him. He's been around yeah. since WEC, the first WEC Bantamweight champ, so yeah, that leaves, a legend. That leaves us to touch on one more fight that we picked, um, which was Alex Caceres versus Ch- uh, Chase Hooper. Jesus. I always say Hopper. Chase Hooper. Um, and, uh, you know, I really relied on, you know, I I remember sitting <laughs> on the toilet before the fights. I remember you saying and, and watching Alex's highlights and seeing his striking and, and seeing some of his ground finishes and, and you were starting like, to be like, wow, Alex like, is oh no. way, way more adv- What was I like? You were like, oh, no. I was, but I, 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 sh- I wanted to switch. Um, what happened here? Uh, was just an outclassing here. Alex Caceres had great takedown defense. Chase uh, Hooper couldn't even get a hold of him. That's what I expected Chase to be able to do. He tried, uh, but Alex just was way more experienced in the striking department and his game plan and his moving and his takedown defense. Everything was up to par. Alex had a great performance. Uh, I didn't expect Chase to come out and try to bang with Alex Caceres. For real. Even when I saw him on the mitts, I did notice before the fight that Chase was throwing a lot of 1-1-2s, and, and he looked a little more crisp with his straight punches in his last few fights, but he's very lethargic and slow um, for in his striking. He's such a lanky man. Um, but when the fight started, he just kept coming forward and overextending and missing, and he landed a few shots, but he but Alex is way more advanced in the striking department than Chase, so I didn't understand his game plan. He took way too many shots, way too early, uh, just couldn't keep up, couldn't get the takedown. Um, 
So uh, the game plan, I think, there was a little bit... I think he, he should have had a different game plan, should have been a little more patient, try not to strike and, and get into a little bit of a striking battle with Alex Caceres. I mean, Crone Gracie, you know, he recognizes that he doesn't have the best stand-up ability. He beat Alex Caceres, and within the first, I think, minute or two minutes, he wrapped him up in open space, but ended up kind of taking his back and utilizing enough of his jiu-jitsu to get him down and, and not leave it in Alex's realm. Like, Chase Hooper... I have to put all this up to the the guy I watched for the DraftKings picks. His name's Cody Saftik on Twitter. Um, he's like, he was the one that, like, a lot of people were behind Chase Hooper for this fight. And he's like, that's what I get for putting all my stock in a 20-year-old kid, you know, <laughs> with one fight or two fights in the UFC or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So he's got a lot of learning to do. You're right. The game plan and his approach was, I think, his downfall because he should have leaned on his on his uh, strengths, in my, in my opinion, yeah. in this fight. I feel like, you know, something that could – I don't want to – I know if I say this, you're going to – jump on it so let's try not to for the people's sake what? um i feel like chase you can mention something about it i feel like i think i said this earlier is that i feel like chase had something to prove i think he's probably heard a lot that his striking needs a lot of improvement oh, sure. i think he wanted to prove like hey my striking's gotten better i've been working on it which it looks like he has a little bit and i think he pride cometh before the, pr- the fall my the brother pride, 20 year old kid you got to just don't worry about that shit. Go out there and get you the know, W. You know, like with Ronda Rousey, point. everyone thought she was a, 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 becoming a good striker, and then she tried to strike more than her, her judo background, and that she became more of a, a striker than stuck into her roots, and it kind of bit her in the butt. Game plans exist for a reason. Yeah. You know? so, so until not you're, saying you're a bad fighter just because you can't beat them everywhere yeah. necessarily. So, um, yeah, Chase... Uh, you lost the fight, man, but you, your stock still goes up. You, that was a big jump in competition for sure. Huge Alex has been jump. in it for a while. Alex Caceres has fa- faced top-notch level athletes from Uriah Faber when he was in his prime to to many guys, great guys. And Alex has been around for a while. He's a huge veteran. Um, and Alex had a great statement. He's like, I know I ain't got the greatest record. I'm 16 and 12, but I'm always here. Um, and... Uh, I I, I I continue to get better, even if it's 1%. Every time I find that cage, I get 1% better. It's like, I'm not a gatekeeper. I don't know. I, I agree with you. I like this statement. He was just kind of very self-aware. Very humble. And, uh, you know, good on him, man. I think he's got skills. I think he's slowly but surely, you know, like you said, working on the things that he didn't necessarily feel like he was the best at, and yeah. that's showing. And He also was a very young prospect and was put up against a lot of big-name guys at the top of the division when he first entered. So he kind of got Sage North gutted. And that's what's happening to Chase Hooper to him, and that's exactly what Joe Rogan said in the interview. He's like, he's like, you were that guy at one point. So, you know, how does it feel? To da, 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 and, and, yeah, man, a lot of other people thought Alex Caceres was uh, a gatekeeper and Chase Hooper was going to run through him, but... Negative. That's Frankie, by the way. Uh, yeah, so, you know, good fight. And we were both wrong. Put a lot of stock in the kid that's up and coming and it's doing well with a lot of hype. Um, you know, it happens. It happens to, all, to the best of us. I mean, there's a reason I'd be looking at handicappers and they were, uh, you know, Chase Hooper was an underdog going into this fight, which in hindsight, when you see a beating like that, you're like, what the fuck was everybody thinking, right? So that's one of the reasons we love MMA because there's too many different variables you can't control for. So yeah. anything could happen. Mm-hmm. So um, that pretty much wraps it up, guys. Again, check out the highlights on uh, Instagram. The UFC Instagram does a pretty good job at showing some highlights or just look them up generally, but there was some good finishes at least to make sure you check those out. Um, but that's it for UFC 250. We're going to take a quick break, come back, uh, recap the points for the predictions challenge, and then we'll wrap up by talking about the UFC Fight Night Saskatoon headed by Cynthia Calvillo versus Jessica I. Be right back. When he's sticking you and taking all your money. Give me the loop! Give me the loop!
All right, so this week we didn't perform quite as well as we have in the prior weeks, even the weeks that I got like 9 and 11 points, Nate got 7 or 9. Like We've, we've been kind of killing it over the last few weeks, but this one we had a few uh, bad picks. Hooper, we both got 0. Sandhagen, we both got 0. Uh, Sunset, we both got zero. Um, and, you know, the ones that we picked, we didn't get right on either. So, um, let's see. Sean O'Malley, we uh, both said second round TKO. He got the uh, right fighter, right uh, method of victory, but incorrect round. So, two points each. Um, same with Magni. We both got the correct fighter, but the incorrect method. So, we got one point each. Uh, and then, uh, Nunez, we both got the right fighter, incorrect method. So, we tied. And instead of being 72 to 74, it's 76 to 78. So, not a whole lot of movement. Still up yeah. by two. Uh, and then that brings us into the next card, which is going to be quite interesting uh, in terms of picks because, again, I know we've said it's a theme that a lot of the more exciting fights can come from fighters that are lesser known, working their way up. Maybe it's not as easy to match make them, all these other things. And you never know. That could be some of the fights that we see on this card. UFC Saskatoon with Jessica I taking on Cynthia Calvillo um, in the main event. However... You know, I'm not trying to downplay the card and say that it's crap, but it's definitely not as stacked as some of the, uh, of the most recent ones. So <clears throat> it's, it's not gonna... crap. It's just not exciting to most fans. Yeah, thank you. And, and it's not, not a lot of big names, so it might not get a lot of eyes on it. And the reason I bring it up it doesn't even have anything to do with that. It has to do with the fact that that can make it a little bit more interesting in terms of doing your picks because um, there might not be as much notable wins and losses. There might not have as much footage or as much of a record to look into. Their stats um, can, can be skewed because if you don't have very many fights but you say you get a knockout, then that ups the percentage in certain ways. So, yeah, so it makes it interesting. And so we're going to do five fights, one on the prelims, and then um, not every one of the main card fights but just the more notable ones from the the fourth one up. So why don't we go ahead and start with the prelim one, and that's going to be um, Charles Rosa recently fought on the, I'm not sure which card, I'm always mixing these, the three cards that happened in the month of March in the same week. I'm not sure which one he was on. I don't want to, I don't feel like looking it up right now, but he was, so he's competed recently is the reason I bring it up. He's the one that got Molly Watt from beginning to end by Bryce Mitchell. Um, three different uh, twister attempts and just got the floor mop with him and he's a black belt of his own so anyways he wants to bounce back probably get that taste out of his mouth he's taking on kevin aguilar 17 and 3 is his total mixed martial arts career um newer to the ufc is uh though in comparison to charles rosa by a decent margin so i'm gonna go ahead and let you do what you do break down the fight from your perspective give us your pick and then i'll back you up all right charles rosa versus kevin aguilar Obviously, his, uh, Rosa's last loss was to Bryce Mitchell, who is an absolute savage. Um, I remember Rosa the whole time was like, stand up and strike, stand up and strike, and it just couldn't get things done. And Mitchell was like, nope, you said you could outgrapple me. I'm going to outgrapple you. Uh, it really showed Bryce Mitchell's uh, true warrior abilities and his technical savviness uh, as a fighter. Um, my heart, you know, based on uh, Rosa's performances, you know, the pattern is, Loss, win, loss, win, and he's coming off a loss, so he might win this one if it's by the pattern. I mean, <laughs> for his record, it'd be great if he wins, but on paper, um, when you look at it, Kevin Aguilar is just, uh, you know, better stats-wise, you know. It's clo- it's a close fight, but when you when you look at it, uh, the one thing you say is Rosa has a takedown average much more than Kevin Aguilar. So on the feet, though, Kevin Aguilar has an advantage when it comes to um, strikes landed per minute. He's slightly ahead at seven point uh, 3.73 compared to... 3.21 for Charles Rose, but I'm not going to get in this statistics talk with you guys in the exact numbers. Just how it looks on paper is that um, Kevin Aguilar might be a little more active with his hands, but when you look at the 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 grappling side of Charles Rosa, um, I feel like he's in a 
grapple more, and it would definitely give Kevin Aguilar trouble. But the problem is, it says here that Charles Rosa is usually at 145, and this fight's going to be at lightweight, which would be 155. Kevin Aguilar's 50, 155. So that means Kevin Aguilar's going to be a much bigger man, most likely. He already does. His reach is 73 inches compared to 69. So obviously... Uh, but Charles Rose is taller. Isn't that funny? Charles Rose is 5'9". He's got 69-inch reach, but Kevin Aguilar is 5'7". He's got a 73. He's got long arms, man. Um, you know, this is a tough one for me to call, but I'm going to make it quick. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go my heart. I'm going to say Charles Rosa. I'm going to say Charles... No, sorry. I'm going to go Kevin Aguilar because of Charles Rosa is not going to be able to wrestle. I feel like Kevin Aguilar is going to be the stronger man at 155 naturally. He's obviously going to cut down bigger. Longer reach, but a smaller guy. But when it comes to the, the people that he's faced, you know, he faced Danny Gay and lost. He, he's on a two-loss streak, actually. So they're, it's really even. It's hard to base it on momentum. But on stats, I'm going to say Kevin Aguilar is going to win. Unanimous decision, I think he's going to be able to just outstrike him a little bit. I think he's going to be able a lot harder to get taken down. Um, than Charles Rosa expects. I think it's going to inch in Aguilar's favor. So, Kevin Aguilar, unanimous decision. Yeah, this is what's really tough for me to pick. I know experience-wise in the UFC, Charles Rosa has got more. He's not been the most active over the last few years, but as of late, he's got those two fights. Um, he looked actually... I know this is weird to say, but he looked competitive in that fight in the f with Mitchell in the fact that he didn't get finished. Yeah. And he was under a lot of pressure oh, and yeah. in really bad positions the entire fight. So, um, you know, it shows that he's definitely willing to uh, continue to fight even if he's got adversity in front of him in the actual fight. So I'm not sure if that veteran uh, savvy and experience mixed with that will to not give up will will overcome this up-and-comer that maybe doesn't have near as, as much experience. But to your point, the only, I think, once, maybe twice have I seen Kevin Aguilar fight and he's got some uh, some pretty fast hands he hits pretty hard and uh, to your you know what you said about Charles Rosa going up in weight that could definitely play a factor especially if Charles Rosa avoiding those shots is going to have to implement a grappling heavy game plan and try to get him to the ground like you said and wrestle him and and maybe use his, his jiu-jitsu advantage because if you look at it uh, Kevin Aguilar 0.24 he doesn't try to take people down um, and even with He's got 86% takedown defense, so in theory, I could see this fight potentially being Charles Rosa trying to push Kevin Aguilar up against the fence, not getting hit by any of those hard shots, trying to grind him out, get him to the ground, and utilize uh, some sort of jujitsu finish or potential ground and pound. But I would, I would think he'd be going more looking for the sub. I'm, you know, and that's just the way I could see it playing out. But I have no confidence in that. So, <clears throat> just to be different, I'm gonna go with Charles Rosa because he is the underdog. And uh, I'm going to go with the decision as well. It's maybe potentially one of those fights where Kevin Aguilar just kind of can't get off because he's being smothered by Charles. You know, kind of all of what Charles just got done to him by Bryce Mitchell. But if you're right, if Kevin Aguilar's size and uh, kind of bodies him up, keeps him off of him and is able to keep it in the center, you're right. It, it may be a short night for Charles as well. So, But just to be different, I'll go Charles Rosa with the unanimous decision. Awesome. Uh, that takes us to our... Go our, with the win-loss pattern. Yeah, that takes us to our, our, our next uh, pick on the fight uh, card to pick. <laughs> our next pick on the fight card to pick. Pick, pick to click. All right, next one we're going to pick is going to be Andre Feely. Andre Touchy-Feely versus Charles Air Jordan. That's yes. funny, Air Jordan. Air I, Jordan. Exactly. That's and smooth. I have to say something with uh, Kevin Aguilar. He's got one of the better UFC, I mean, for MMA, you know, fucking... Um, What's the word? Face the pain style. Old, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to describe here. If you know what I'm talking about, but he's, his nickname is Angel of Death. Yeah. Jesus. Wow. And then, speaking of nicknames, you just mentioned it. Andre Touchy Feely, one of my all-time favorite yeah, nicknames in the UFC. And then Charles Air Jordan. <laughs> they're, both, they're both hilarious. <laughs> they're both great. Got to touch on the nicknames. If you're going to have them, yeah. you got to give them some sort of shine. 
So Andre Feely's 27. Andre Feely's got uh, good striking. I know he, he works at a, a couple local gyms. I know he's worked with Tyler Wombles at Classic Fight Team, and that's where uh, Raymond Daniels is striking out of. Obviously, that's where Raymond Daniels does a lot of his work as well, and, and many other places because he's just such a well-rounded striker and karate world champion. But we're not talking about Raymond Daniels here. We're talking about Andre Feely. I know he's constantly improving. So this is a tough one to, uh, to pick. He's definitely a veteran. He's been fighting for a while, 20-7, and seven, which isn't a bad record for as long as he's been fighting. Uh, this fight is at 145 pounds. Uh, Andre Feely is the taller fighter at 5'11". Charles Jordan is only 5'9". Uh, so he's got quite the reach advantage, 74-inch reach for Andre Feely, 69 for Charles Jordan. So uh, for a guy who's naturally a striker, this is going to be uh, in Andre Feely's range because he'll be able to uh, manipulate the distance here, right? Okay. But, you know, Charles Jordan is on the come-up. He's only had two fights in the UFC. He first fight he actually lost, I believe, in his debut, which was to Green. Uh, and his last fight was against a really tough opponent who's very underrated, Duhu Choi. Um Andre Feely's last fight was against Yusuf, and it was a loss. Um, so when you come to experience here, you want to immediately lean to Andre Feely. Um, but I'm going to go. This is my underdog pick card, okay? So Andre Feely is the, uh, I believe he is the uh, he is the uh, main pick for this fight. He's not the underdog. Charles Jordan is. Is that correct, Dustino? Sorry, my bad. No, you're fine. Getting a call from the Bang My Bo- Bros Instagram group that we have. So sorry if you guys are listening. I didn't answer. Um, yeah, Andre <laughs> Feely's the, the favorite. The favorite, yes, sir. All right, so this is going to be my underdog card here. Uh, I'm going to say Charles Jordan. Uh, it's going to win. And I'm going to say decision. I, I, Andre Feely's a tough opponent, and he grinds it out all the way through. This is my underdog pick car- card here. Uh, hopefully I can get some points. I'm going to go with Charles Jordan. Uh, coming in off a win against Duhu Choi. I'm going to say he's going to win decision. I'm saying he's going decision because I think Andre Feely is a veteran, and I think he's going to make a tough fight. It's going to be hard to finish, and this is a tough step for Charles Jordan, even though Duhu Choi is a, a savage. Um, so, yep, Charles Jordan, let's say unanimous decision, Charles Jordan. Charles Air Jordan. He's going to make it a slam dunk. <laughs> oh, wait, where's that one? Well, it's because it's not up right now, so. Oh, bummer. Oh, maybe bummer. you can do it now. Uh, it's kind of a timing thing, but I will anyways. Let's see. <laughs> Not only on what I said, but on how long it took me to actually hit that. Um, Andre Touchy Feely, like I said, top 10. One of the best nicknames in, in UFC. I like the Dirty Bird. is one of my favorites, uh, Tim Means. Uh, but no, he, he took Michael Johnson to a decision. I mean, he lost that. He beat Dennis Bermudez. He's got, like you said, he's fought more top talent and he's been in the UFC longer he's veteran savvy things like that um you never know man with these up-and-comers we've seen a lot of situations lately where someone you may not have be as familiar with comes out and blows guys out of the water and based on the stats and the things that you were talking about I, I totally understand your pick and I think you know the odds aren't, don't make them that they're not that separate in terms of the odds so it's it's pretty close and going to be a competitive fight I totally think so um and Andre Feely like you said I'm a big fan of his and I think he's He's starting as of late to start to access his potential, but um, it's been one of those guys that I've I thought was better than his performances over the over the course of his career. And I, and sometimes you'll see flashes of it, like when he taught, fought Shaman Marais, got the first round KO. Um, situations like that make make me see that spark in him and hope that he's able to kind of put it all together. And the the more time that he's focused and and doing the right things, as you alluded to, kind of going camp to camp and making sure he's always improving. And working on his um, weaknesses, I just I hope that eventually he kind of 
you know, catches that stride or that tipping point to where, boom, now he's definitely going to have at least one true hard good shot towards a potential championship um, in in this division. It's a featherweight division, and it's a shark tank, so it's that's tough. And he's been up there for a while, up at the top ten, top five, you know. At one point, I believe he was a top five. I'm not sure. Don't, you know, quote me on that. I could be wrong. Um, all that being said, you're right. When you look at the stats, you see that momentum went off to Ho Choi. Charles Jordan uh, is a fresher fighter, and he looks he looked really explosive in that fight. So there's a lot of evidence to say that this guy, Andre Feely, is is the name that's in there for Charles to build off of, right, in terms of the matchmaking. But partially an emotional play, but also I I just think that Andre Feely, I'm hoping that this is one of those fights that he comes out, shows his true potential. And so I'll go because I know Charles is quick and puts a lot of pressure. On paper, Andre Feely looks much better. I'm going to go Andre Feely, and I'm going to just go for a third-round TK. I'm going to I'm gonna try to get some extra points by, you know, inside the distance uh, finish in terms of my prediction. So that's really the only way I'm, reason I'm saying that because I think it, it could potentially be a first-round finish or a decision. But I don't know. Charles Jordan, I don't feel like, is going to be, you know, putting himself in that much danger that early. I feel like there's going to be a good feeling out process because these guys are both quick and both good at what they do. So I'll go a little bit later in the fight. And on the fly, I'm, I'm flip-flopping already, but I'm going to go second-round TKO, Andre Feely. All right. Well, there it is, second-round TKO. Andre Feely brings us to the next one we're going to pick. Marab Devalalala. You want to pronounce that? It's Devalish Feely. Devalish Feely. Sounds like <laughs> hey, a, you got his first name right, which sounds, isn't that easy. It, it sounds like a, a, a Turkish delicacy or something. Probably like, is Turkish. He's something like that. Uh, and then One you of those got other other white meat against guys. Ray, the Tex Mexican Devil Borg. Yes. Uh, Ray Borg recently fought Ricky Simone, who's been on a tear. Ricky Simone is only improving. Um, so that was already that was a tough fight, but from what we hear and what we know, this Marab guy is just an absolute. Machine, tank, which man. is he his just nickname. Doesn't stop. He's the machine. Um, ten and four. He's a taller fighter at five six compared to Ray Borg, who's five four. Uh, sixty eight inch reach over sixty three inch reach. Uh, strikes landed per minute much higher than Ray Borg. Uh, but not only that, but his wrestling, his takedown averages too are seven point eight compared to three point eight nine for Ray Borg. So he's taking. He, this guy is just an absolute MMA machine when it comes to striking. He's mixing it up very well. He's on a three fight win streak. Uh, the only difference is Ray Borg is facing competition, right? They yep. both lost to Simone, right? Okay, so there's a similarity there. But the people that Ray Borg has fought for years uh, is just, you know, more experienced, right? So uh, not much, though. 13-5, 10-4. So pretty close to similarities in fight experience. But when it comes to the level of fighting, or uh, level athletes or fighters they have faced, it's uh, much different. But... um. I'm going to have to say on momentum here that Marab is going to just be a machine this fight. I think he's going to, um, I think, based on his wrestling, I, I feel, and his takedown, he's fin- on paper he looks great. I haven't seen much of him, but I'm going to say Marab is going to win, and I'm going to be different. I'm going to say he's going to win second-round submission. Uh, I, I mean, it's totally possible. He's got a lot of heavy top pressure. His nickname is The Machine for a reason. He does not get tired. Um, he's a B, Sarah BJJ, um, you know, Sarah Longo product. Uh, trains with Ally Quinta, Aljermaine Sterling, these guys. You know, so I'm going to go with camp momentum. I'm going to go with his winning streak momentum. He's not shown many chinks in the armor so far. I mean, he's, he did have a couple losses in, in the beginning of his uh, UFC career, but I almost feel like that's good for you to... You know, make sure to look in the mirror and fix your yeah, he's definitely liabilities. Yeah, so he's on a three-fight win streak. Um, 
to your, I agree with your point, though. The level of competition isn't quite uh, the same as Ray Borg, but, I mean, that's that's why they're fighting. you got to work your way up. He's kind of like Sugar Sean O'Malley. He's making people look terrible, but he's actually fighting people with similar records or experience level, and he's blowing them out of the water. So same with Marab. They're working him, working the way up kind of the way he should in terms of the rankings, but he's he's really looking impressive against a lot of his opponents. So lastly, last thing I'll say about this is that Marab has been a 135-er for you know most part of his career, and he cuts... You know, not a shitload, but a you know a good amount of weight. Like most, not most. It's kind of changing. A whole episode for another time. But he cuts a decent amount of weight for 135. We know Ray Borg has been a 125 or a flyweight for a while. Missed weight a few times, and I don't know if forced is quite the right word, but has been you know encouraged to go up to 135 because you know you can't keep fucking missing weight. That's unprofessional. So. Pardon me. So the last thing I'll say about this is that Marab potentially, I want to see him standing next to each other, but could have a decent size and strength advantage. And if that's the case, because he does not get tired, he's going to Ray Borg the shit out of Ray Borg and just completely control him and be all over him for all three rounds. And I'll go Marab by decision, unanimous decision. Okay. Boom. All right, right. co-main event, Carl Robertson, Marvin Vittori. These guys were supposed to fight UFC 249. I think they were supposed to fight on the card um, at the Tachi Palace and Linmore as well. So they've been pushed back a few times when they were supposed to fight on UFC 249. I think Carl, undisclosed injury or undisclosed illness, something, couldn't fight. Uh, Marvin Vittori, there was a video of him in a hotel shortly after, like, going crazy. He's just super frustrated and wants to fucking fight, doesn't get paid. He's been pushed back several times at an extended camp. Not to say I agree with his behavior, but I can understand it, his frustration at least. So there's some heat behind this. These guys already didn't like each other. And then with the fact that the things keep getting pushed back and, and all this other frustrations going on, Marvin Vittori, Carl Robertson, the co-main event for this card, 9-2 uh, Carl Robertson taking on 14-4-1 Marvin Vittori. Um, but, yeah, why don't you go ahead and give us your breakdown, brother? Uh, originally, I was going to go with uh, Marvin Vittori just based on who he's fought. He took, you know, Israel Azania to a decision. But when I look at how they're winning, uh, Marvin Vittori is quite the decision machine. And Carl Robertson is, is, is submitting a lot of guys. Most of his wins are submit. He had one win that was a split decision. But he, he's, he likes the rear naked choke. Um, and with the anger in play, I think Marvin might fight a little reckless. But Carl could do the same thing, right? Um, but I'm going to go out on a whim here, and I'm going to say Carl Robertson is going to win. Second round submission. I'm trying to look up my notes from when we did the breakdowns for the UFC 249 card. I may have not even wrote down uh, his name because of the fact that the car, the fight got pulled. So I don't see it here. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure I called an inside the distance submission as well. I just can't recall which round. <laughs> um, so if you're going second round, I'll go third. So Carl Robertson, third round submission. Boom. All right, guys. That leaves us to the final fight, the exciting fight. The main event. Of the night, the main event. Jessica I versus Cynthia Calvillo for, oh for the women's God. flyweight nothing. <laughs> All right, so um, obviously Jessica I, 15-7, won no contest. Cynthia Calvillo with only one loss. For the chance to go get murdered by Whaley Zhang. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's a t- number one contender fight, but that's the top of the mountain at the flyweight division right now. Yeah, um... You know, when you look on cards, this guy's obviously faced, other than Asparza, who's a former strawweight champion, uh, Cynthia Calvilla lost to Asparza, but other than that, she's won every fight, win versus Calderwood, uh, uh, both, both Loho, both Loho. Where are we? 
Oh, uh, uh, Botello. Botello. Yeah, the, yeah. Went Casey Drivers Rodriguez. But you have to look over here. Uh, you know, Cheska's got to win over uh, Chukagin, and she faced uh, Shevchenko. I don't know what Shevchenko that is. Do you know? Uh, Antonina. Okay, it's Antonina. Mm-hmm. Okay, ooh, that makes it different now. Uh, Calvia um, was scheduled to fight Antonina, but lo- or it got canceled at one point. So they, they were both scheduled against her, but yeah, she, um, um, Jessica ended up... Oh, no, I apologize. I'm... I apologize. No, that's the knockout that sent around the world. That's the head kick that that's literally right. thought they that's killed right. Jessica. I, uh, my bad. I was looking at the the other. I was looking uh, at Cynthia's record. Well, at the let's time. make this quick. It's the last fight of the night. You know, I'm, you know, I'm gonna give it to Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, I'm gonna say Cynthia Calvillo. Um, let's say takedown defense for uh, Jessica. Fifty nine percent. Uh, let's see the takedown accuracy. Forty. Uh, it's a pretty even fight, to be honest. Uh, the only the only thing on the, is that Cynthia Calvillo is a little ahead in the striking area when it comes to strikes landed per minute. Um. Anyways, I'm gonna say Cynthia Calvillo is going to win it. I I think. Uh, man, I'm I'm trying to be a, a submission machine a submission machine tonight, but uh, I'm gonna say Cynthia Calvillo wins it unanimous decision. Uh, uh, yeah, that's it. I, I, I can't, I can't say much more. Uh, so, uh, I want to say submission, but, uh, um, just based on the experience of Jessica, I am going to say it's going to be a little harder to submit her, um, in a pretty evenly match. So let's say unanimous decision, Cynthia Calvillo. Right. I mean, I totally see that. I, I'm going to back you here, Cynthia Calvillo. I'm going to go with this. Well, uh, let's take a look at the odds real quick here. Looks like it's a pick of minus 105 to 115 is what uh, Five Dimes has. So <clears throat> it's pretty much a pick em, And um, I don't necessarily see it that way. But what the way I see it is if Jessica Eyes' um, size and strength is a factor, then she I feel like she could give Cynthia a lot of problems just like maybe some top pressure and smothering her. But aside from that, I feel like Cynthia's way um, way crisper on the feet, but more technical. And I feel like her jujitsu game is, is top level. People don't give her enough credit for that. She's uh, had a few sub, I think three submission wins in her UFC career. Um, and Jessica, I no slouch on the ground herself, but my feeling is, is that if Jessica I's size and strength isn't as significant enough of a factor to kind of bully Cynthia, that eventually, either by a, a clean strike and or scramble, um, I feel like Cynthia is going to get on Jessica I's back and finish her with a rear naked choke. And since this is a main event, um, Jessica I has had some issues making weight in the past. Don't say I'm not necessarily saying that's going to be a factor here, but it has historically been an issue in terms of her making weight. And if this is a five round fight. I guess Cynthia's had weight making issues too, but anyway, so I'm gonna uh, aim, bet on Cynthia Calvillo being fresher if the fight goes longer. <clears throat> Pardon me with these coughs; I don't have my fucking water bottles. But I'm gonna go Cynthia Calvillo fourth round submission. Uh, I'm choke. I'll even give you this up. Boom. Um, but that does it, man. That's the UFC Saskatoon Jessica I Cynthia Calvillo. Um, like we said, not the most notable names, but I feel like there's still some exciting matchups on the card. You know, I'll be watching. We'll be watching. And uh, if you guys don't, make sure to tune into the next episode because we'll, we'll definitely break down the fights and, and touch on any notable um, outcomes, wins, subs, knockouts, things like that. Um, there's not been a whole lot of controversy with regards to judging or refing. I mean that. Um, 
Spencer Nunes fight kind of did look a little bit like Glover Teixeira, Anthony Smith, but not quite that bad. So luckily there's not a lot to talk about there. So we'll be sticking to fights and breakdowns, stuff like that. So um, we hope you guys enjoyed the show. We hope you guys, if you did, rather go on to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review and give us some feedback, submit a review. And let us know what you think. But before we go, as always, Nate, man, I really do appreciate all your help out with the show. Make sure to check out MMT Fitness Instagram. Get your asses back in there next Friday and punch me in the face. I'd love it. Uh, But with all the chaos and everything going on, we tried to leave it out of this episode. Uh, Last episode, we were over two hours. So come on, guys. We're just going to stick to Friday, at least for um, the most part. But before we leave, I wanted to have a little fun, maybe inject a little humor or comedy. I don't know if you guys quite remember this, but this was the number one single back in October 2018. Derek Lewis, you know, the one time that he, that he broke through and made a rap song. I don't know if you remember, but here we go. So I'm going to leave you guys with this. Thank you again for being here. We'll see you guys next time. But until then, enjoy this shit. Peace out, guys.